today here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here with John Huber, Jr. of uh, John Huber Homes. Thanks for joining us today, John. Mike, thanks for having me. Before we get started, let me uh, remind people what's coming up next in our schedule. Uh, tomorrow we're going to have Chris Finney, who's an attorney, and we're going to be talking about some positive aspects of the law uh, in business. Uh, next week we're going to have Dave Doherty from Education at Work. Some of you may recognize his name. Dave is the ex-CEO of Convergis, and Dave's company is a nonprofit which is bringing customer service jobs back to America. He's onshoring the jobs by employing college students here in Cincinnati and later around the country to provide customer service. Then we're going to have an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, Mark Schmidt, who owns Blue Chip Asphalt, and he's going to be talking about his new company, Atlas 10, which is involved with asphalt maintenance for large companies all over the country in taxis. And we're going to have Al Perlman, CPA from Smith Perlman. And then on show number 100, we're going to have Dane Maynard from the Cincinnati Zoo. And we have a lot more uh, shows scheduled out through uh, through April. Sandler event coming up in the March is our cold call camp that's on March 7th. If you're interested in getting by the gatekeeper, in sales and you want to build three or four scripts for the contact and five ways to get get beyond other people's voicemail so they call you back, this program will be for you. Now let me tell everyone a little bit about John Huber. John, you have a small Loveland-based custom design-build construction company. Uh, you build on owner's lots or from your own inventory of home sites. How long have you been doing that, John? I've been building homes for... 40 years at least, but on my own for about 30 years. Okay. It looks like you've built about 400 custom homes in the Cincinnati area, and what you've done is establish a process for excellent reputation for fine craftsmanship, innovation, timely construction within the customer's budget, and 90% of your business comes from referrals. That's true? That's correct. Probably higher. Probably higher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we... When you do a good job and especially take care of people, uh, you know they, they you know they refer to your friends. It's a small town, Cincinnati, so you know we've kept a spotless reputation legally and spotless reputation in terms of paying our contractors, and we don't do lots of advertising. So my philosophy is take care of the clients I got. I've been around long enough that those clients are having kids. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people build. You know, I've known people to build as many as nine homes, and I've built two or three of them for them. So um, I got a call today from a client I built a home 10 years ago, and 
He wanted to know if I wanted to do a remodel for his friends. It was too small a project for me, but I referred him to a good a good remodeler. So, Interesting. I, I went through building a, a home with uh, Zering mm-hmm. 20 years ago. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not going to comment on that, but to say that you know, one of the things that uh, we've set out to do from the beginning in the custom build process is, is be innovators and 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 understand that you as a client coming to us, the relationship for building homes is one of deep trust. It's a very intimate thing to build someone's home, mm-hmm. especially a custom home where you're designing it, you know, to their special family needs, to their vision, their dream, and all the the same time, you know, bringing our expertise for practicality and cost effectiveness to the table. But we've always understood that the process of of going of making thousands of decisions is very difficult for people. So you know, we've constantly over 30 years of finessed our our methods and our systems for helping the customer have a good and positive experience throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You do that by who do they work with inside of my company. In my case, i got a designer selection coordinator, and she's fun. She loves to shop. I mean, she walks into the showrooms with the client, and the salespeople immediately take care of them, and they end up in a positive experience. And, you know, that's just something that we set the goal right from the beginning. It's just, you know, it's never it's never about just making money on the house. It's more focused on how do you make a good process, and then how do you make a great house? How do you build a great house? So when you say custom homes, does that mean you have your own architect on staff? I don't have an architect on staff. I, I use you know two or three primary architects, and we also get a lot of clients who come who've already started with an architect. So we, we build plans from right now. I've probably got seven different architects' plans that we're building. Okay, okay. You last year built roughly how many homes? Well, it's probably, I'm not sure, eight, you know, eight to ten. I mean, over the last, you know, since the crash in 2009 when everybody, you know, cut their business in half. <laughs> really? There was a crash? Yeah. <laughs> Especially for builders. Hardly noticed. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't either. No, we, we, you know, one time I had up to 15 employees and went down to 10, went down to five, five key employees. And then everybody cut their salary, and you know. But I got I got people that were super shut the door, cut the salary, and let's get creative and find a way through this. And so that's what we did. Um, but over the last since the last three four years, we've been doing about five to six million dollars worth of business. But we've been we've always understood that when the market comes back, we're going to be uh, we're going to be in really good standing. So I more than a year ago started a growth pattern for my company hiring back so now I'm up to 10 or 11 employees mm-hmm. and right now we've probably got at least 12 million dollars worth of custom homes under contract mm-hmm. so more than twice than we've had in the last two three years what kind of a proportion is it between uh, customer owned lots and uh, in the developments where you already have land well r- right now we're 99 <laughs> percent uh, customer owns the lot, so really? yeah. I mean, we, you know, one of the a lot of builders went down because they had lot positions and money on the lots, and then the markets dropped off, and the developers, um, 
you know, st- banks took the lots back, and so, you know, lots, I got a lot right down the street here is the only lot I own, thank God, and I paid 110 for it, and I'll sell it to you right now for 80 uh, So, you know, the developer gave them back to the bank, and the bank started selling them for whatever they could get, and so you know, now, now we're actually at a shortage of lots. I wish I would have known about that. A friend of mine he <laughs> wanted to build a, uh, a house around here, and he had a... Uh, Went into uh, Loveland someplace, I think. Into Loveland? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a great time. If you're a buyer who's got the wherewithal, you know, I, I know subdivisions. client did have the wherewithal. Yeah. Well, you know, where there are lots for 100000 I I just finished a home. A guy paid, bought a lot from the bank for 39000 Wow. So, you know, and those values are low. They're coming back already. And, uh, you know, this lot I have down the street, I mean, I'm just going to sit on it a little bit longer as I paid for, so, um, you know, wait. But to answer your original question, most of our clients own a lot. We're doing a lot of very high-end, expensive homes, a million plus mm-hmm. homes. So that client typically will go to Indian Hill and, you know, buy their own lot. And then we do a lot of teardowns, Indian Hill, Montgomery, that kind of thing. We buy a, 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 an existing older home that's, not worth rehabbing in a one of these up and coming markets or, or stable markets like Montgomery's been in our area has been one of the stablest markets around. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a big teardown thing and, and you know there's a big trend happening right now where the people, especially the younger uh, people clients, don't want to move out to sub subdivisions. They want to move into the walking communities, especially with the cost of gas. Cost of gas, and they just you know they they want the, the intimacy of the, the of that. I mean we're we're also involved in um, a downtown Cincinnati and the redevelopment of Over the Rhine with 3CDC. There's six developers down there, I think, and we're one of those six. So what are you putting in down there? Well, if you're familiar with Over the Rhine, it's Cincinnati has the largest um, assemblage of Italianate architecture from the late 1800s in the country in Over the Rhine. It was only 20% occupied. Most of it was deteriorating. The city was getting it back. Uh, Cincinnati uh, Center City Development came along and started buying up those properties and assembling blocks of cash and funding guys like me to to take a building. Right now I'm taking a building, seven old buildings, and I mean these were literally physically crumbling to the ground, but they were beautiful at one time. and. So they, they fund us to completely cut those things back down, structurally rebuild them, um, return them to their glory. And then in this particular case, I'm putting 33 condos inside the the buildings and um, essentially connecting with an elevator and hallway. So it's, it's seven buildings. It'll actually be one. Let's put uh, 33 condos in it. And, you know, we, it's, it's... What do you do for parking down there? Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> Which means, well, there's uh, again 3CDC's solving it. They, you know, they did Washington Park. If you're familiar with that, 47 million dollar overhaul Washington Park, and right. put in, I don't know the parking count there, but my tenants will or my clients will buy parking in there. A lot of people don't have, you know, some of them don't want cars. They got bikes. That's exactly the point. You know, they're they're turning turning all the commercial spaces back into commercial spaces. So. There's been a boom of restaurants, and people are going to, it's going to be like living in New York City. You're going to walk out, go to the park, go to the corner, get your coffee, go to your favorite bar, restaurant. It's a, it's 
a destination restaurant uh, thing right now. So typically we have about 80 condos for sale at all times down there. We're down to two. And we're bringing on another 150 or so. They're also building another parking garage at Mercer Common on Vine. So, you know, they're they're solving the parking problem. So that, that's always one of the, the issues that I see. Having grown up in New York City, you can end up with my accent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like old. But uh, no, it, it's an issue for some. We we uh, we just converted an old single-family home. This will be somewhat unique and over the Rhine where we took an 1880s house. It was completely deteriorated. We restored it for a, a doctor moving from his big five-bedroom, two-story in Loveland, moving down with his, his kids are out of school now and he wants to live in the city. And you know, that project is going to close at around 800000 It'll set the new sales record for for uh, over the wrong time. But, it, you know, once that guy's there, another guy wants to be there. I got another guy who wants to build a $5,000 house down there. So it's totally transforming downtown Cincinnati. And for us, it's, you know, I've lived in the city my whole life, so we're proud just to be part of it. Yeah. It's a, it's a overdue renovation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the, the condos you're building, how close are they to the Brookfield streetcar? The, the streetcar is going to be right in front of us. Really? Yeah, it's on. We're doing. We're on Race Street, just the uh, one the block north of uh, of Washington Park. So the the, the streetcar is going to go right in front of the, the single family home that I just did that I mentioned, plus our condos, Westphalen Loft is what they're called. Okay, that's kind of exciting. Yeah, assuming the streetcar happens, there's still some fuzziness around that. <laughs> they may have five <laughs> streetcars and no tracks. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, John was born was born here in Cincinnati. Lives in Loveland. Graduate of Moeller. It's interesting to me. In New York, when someone said, what school do you go to? They meant, what college? Here, mm-hmm. they mean, what what high school? <laughs> uh, University of Dayton uh, is where you graduated from college. Uh, worked for 10 years for one of Cincinnati's premier builders before you started your own company in 86. Um, twice was pe- was past president or co-president of the Claremont County Home Builders Association. A uh, six-year member of the board of directors of the Cincinnati Home Builders Association, and currently is president of uh, Claremont County Boys and Girls Club. Yeah, board of directors. President, president of the board of directors. President of the board of directors. Yeah. And you just told me uh, before we started the show that uh, Boys and Girls Club bought a former uh, nightclub. Yeah, strip, strip club. I didn't want to say that. Uh, <laughs> I'm using that in my marketing for you know we call it um, pole models to role models, <laughs> but it's gonna we're converting the strip club into a uh, into a boy and girls club and it's 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 really needed in these rural counties like Claremont County. There's these kids get uh, you know where we've been able to put a club. Our grad the graduation rate goes from 67 percent to 98 percent from the kids that attend the club get after after. Uh, school, it's you know, adult supervision and help with homework and and juvenile crime gets cut in half. So, so good. Uh, John has agreed to answer questions. So, 
If you want to call in with questions, the number is 646-595-4916. And uh, we'll be right back after these commercials. This is Mike Roth with Sandler Training, finding power and reinforcement. Are you tired of prospects saying, I want to think it over? Are you tired of being an unpaid consultant? Call me at 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. Imagine you just left your prospect's office and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. Company owners and sales managers, are you tired of cutting your price to get the deal? Wouldn't you like to have a better way? Wouldn't you want to improve your margins? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 to see if there's a better way for you. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with John Huber, Jr. John, if someone wants to get a hold of you after the show, what's the phone number and a good email address for you? The best way to reach me is uh, call our, our company line at 513-683-8608, or you can email me at john at huber, H-U-E-B-E-R, Holmes. Dot com John at HuberHomes.com. Thanks, John. Uh, in the marketplace, uh, how, do you, how do you go to market? You don't advertise. We don't do much advertising, but I, I've, since I begin, began my company, uh, you know, I've, I've learned to market myself on a shoestring budget. And I think it's a, you know, it's a good thing that every grassroots or every entrepreneur trying to get going should learn how to do and. You know, and by that I mean we we've done things by you know getting stories about our company in the in the paper, going down to over the Rhine. It was some it was newsworthy that a company like mine, a high end custom mm-hmm. company, was down there, and so you know we we exploited that. Um, we uh, they just did a story on me personally in a, in a magazine called Best Magazine. It was a six or seven page cover, just about you know. Myself and uh, it was really about uh, um, you know being green. We're one of the one of the beginning builders to sort of front the green movement in the in the city of Cincinnati. We built the, uh, the first LEED certified homes. LEED is L E E D means leadership in energy and environmental design. Mm-hmm. So uh, we the city passed an ordinance where they would give a tax abatement. Uh, up to 15 years for the cost of any new home. So you get taxed on the land, but not the home. And uh, we built the first four and sort of ran the pilot program. So this uh, $800,000 house you built for the doctor. Yeah, is that a lead home? That's a lead home. It'll get. It's not certified yet. It's to to get a home certified under lead. You have to 
hire an outside provider who monitors everything you do, mm-hmm. um, all the materials that go in it. That you know you're supposed to try to use local materials. You got to you know even the landscaping. You know use natural native plants and you got to monitor your waste, and of course you're building an energy efficient house to the highest standard. And you know it's all finished. The provider does what's called a blower door test, and I call it the equivalent of they they, they blow that puff the house up with big fans and put on magic glasses and rip, measure how much energy is coming out of them. And our houses have consistently tested the tightest ever. So, uh, but so we've done 22 lead certified homes in the city plus the condos, uh, nine of the condos that we're doing down in there we did. So you're building 30 more condos. 33 more. 33 more condos. How are you going to sell 33 condos down there? Uh, Fortunately, I'm not going to sell them. In the case of that particular arrangement, um, the six developers have hired one sales team for over the Rhine, and so they represent all the developers. And the good news is we really don't even put them on the market until they're finished. So it's completely different than my custom home building where I start from scratch with you and your vision and develop a plan and a spec list and a price and all the way to a finished house. These are going to be completely finished and then they sell them. And um, and the markets down there has been so strong. I mean, we've got people waiting for us to be able to show them to them. So, you know, the, the whole idea down there was to drive enough new residents down there to get to a tipping point where values start going up and even through this downturn in over the Rhine, they've been going up about 8% a year. So that's been pretty strong. And uh, now with all the new restaurants, everybody wants to be down there. Hmm. It's it's interesting. I spoke to uh, a business professional who's lived down in in the banks for the past year. Yeah. And she said as soon as Elise is out, she's out of there. Out of there. Yeah. The banks is not not worked as well as I think they had hoped. And, and it's, you know, some of them are moving up to over the Rhine because, you know, they, they want to be able to walk out their door and, you know, there's this, the restaurants and the shops and stuff that are up there. And it's just much more, um, I don't know, feels like a village. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are the opportunities and uh, possibilities you see in the marketplace? Well, we're, you know, we're always looking for, for new opportunities and there's been so many, it's been hard to keep track of them, but, you know, a lot of it, you needed to have a lot of capital and, and we weren't, you know, we we got so slim, we just didn't have a lot of capital. But all these houses that went to foreclosure, I mean, if you had if you had the wherewithal to go in there and 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 buy some of those or buy some of these tear down lots in Montgomery, I mean, guys that did, they, they're selling every single one of them. So, um, you know, but we're we're pushing out for us. We do a little light commercial work. We're we're looking at possibly doing. We we'd like to get into building apartments. I mean, you know, it's gonna be harder and harder for people to get into a new home. With the you know financial uh, the, the banks requiring twenty percent down and just very strict regulation anymore, so you know the, well, that that sounds more like twenty years ago than yeah maybe the last five of the housing bubble right where yeah. you just state your income don't even show us a tax return. yeah oh I I don't even want to go into the stories on people without jobs getting you know loans for one hundred fifty thousand dollar houses it's, it's crazy but. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're you know we're investigating rental properties. I, I made a big change in my company, and we're also a company in transformation. I've got three sons, and two of them have been working with me since they got out of college. And of course, they worked for me as kids and started at the lowest level, cleaning houses. And um, mm-hmm. but I just recently this year, France gave each of my two sons a third ownership. So there's 
I only have a third ownership now, and I hope they just don't vote me out. But well, you don't want to start a new company. <laughs> well, so they're your exit plan. They're my exit plan, and then and, and also they, you know, they they're they're smarter than me. They're better educated than me. They they're the ones out in the field building the houses right now, and uh, you know they really know what they're doing. And you know if you, if you didn't cut them into the deal, they you know they were going to go out and you know make their own way. So. It was a move I had to make, and I'm glad I did. And uh, you know, so we're looking forward to you know running a family business, whereas I've been running a dictatorship for a long time. So it's going to be a change for me, but, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm 60 years old, and you know, I'd like to retire when I'm 66. So and you know, let let those guys kind of move up to the next level mm-hmm. and buy out your shares. Is that is that the family yeah. arrangement? Yeah. When you talk to prospective buyers of homes. What do they tell you they're looking for? Well, it's uh, it's interesting, and I, this is some of the stuff I love about being a custom home builder. We're we're always on the front cutting edge of of the trends and what people how floor plans are changes and housing industry has been very very slow to change. You must mention the production builder earlier. I mean they're they're very slow to change their plan plans. They got the box with the living room dining room. And, and nobody wants that anymore. I mean, every client that's walking in my door right now, regardless of their budget, and you know, we're, we're doing homes from four hundred to four million. Uh, they want open floor plans. Nobody formal dines. Nobody form, wants a formal living room anymore. They don't have that furniture. I mean, my own home, which is I've lived in twenty eight years, has always had that open plan. And you know, my friends, you know, call me up because they want to. When we watch the Bengals football, they want to come to my house because. We could be in the kitchen and see the TV and the family. Everybody's in one big space, and it, you know we call it a sort of a more casual leisure kitchen. But that's one of the biggest trends we see. And my daughter just spent a, a lot of money on remodeling her home mm-hmm. and turned it into an open home. Right. Yeah, we we, we did. My two sons, just, just like I said, they both live in the city where I live in out in Loveland on. on my brother and I have 30 acres and a couple of lakes, and I thought for sure they'd want to live out there, but no. They went into the city, and, and they bought old high park homes, And but unlike most people that do sort of modest remodels down there, we, we gutted them to the studs, opened them up in the big, you know, put in powder rooms on the first floor and closets, and, you know, just re- re- totally redid them, and they're virtually new homes, insulated and super tight, and, you know, but my one son put it on the market, his on the market to move up and sold it in two weeks. Now, now he's living with me, which is another problem. <laughs> Him and his wife, but <laughs> but uh yeah. so that just happened recently. Yeah, that just that was just in the lab. They've been there about three weeks now, so the home sold in Hyde Park because it was a high energy efficient home. Yeah. It was just a little small house, eight hundred square eight hundred square feet, but uh you know, he did such a great job of making it feel like a you know, eighteen hundred square foot house. So mm-hmm. just a little two bedroom but very, very well put back together, and, and uh, you just don't find that that often in that market. Mm-hmm. When you're, uh, you said earlier that 90% of your business, for the homes anyway, is coming to you from referrals. Mm-hmm. Do you have any kind of uh, client loyalty programs, referral rewards programs? Yeah, we we do. It's you know it's 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 not an absolute established one. It's just kind of goes as it goes. Years ago, we did. We had a newsletter, and we always sent out a spring and fall newsletter reminding customers things that they needed to take care of on their houses. But, you know, our, I just I had a, I built a beautiful home for a lovely couple on, on 70 acres, and 
in Loveland is $1.4 million house, and they've let me show that house so many times, I, I don't know, five or six times, so they always show up with a bottle of scotch, and <laughs> this time I called my landscaper and told him to go, you know, remulch his whole front yard, his whole front beds for him, so, you know, we do little things, and, and it's a way, for me, I mean, a lot of builders have to have a model home, well, the cost of keeping up a model home, plus it goes stale, so... You know, I like to maintain those relationships with the client, and almost every client I have will let me bring somebody if I if I need to. Well, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, well, it's, I, you know, again, it's part of that grassroots thing. You just don't, you know, you got to think outside of the box when you're the little guy. You know, the company you mentioned, you know, they're they're long gone. Yeah, but well, they're just bought by somebody else, and the name was. Yeah, right. But there's still a big production company out there, and you know, we got to compete with those guys. Because they, they're building homes in the you know four, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollar level, and and they give you a lot of home for the money. We're giving you something really different, though. I mean, our process is more fun, and the and the end product I think is a much better, much tighter, much better home. And and you can feel it when you walk in them, I and mean, you can tell it. How do you feel it when you when you walk in? Yeah, I, I'll tell you just a quick story. I was with a realtor with a. A young couple looking at a house, and, and a, a couple of mine said that they'd uh, let me show their house. So we mm-hmm. we went. A production builder was right down the street, and his house happened to be open. So we went in, and he, eight foot basements, and just didn't feel good at all. And they they commented, and we walked into mine. It was dark, and I was getting ready to turn on lights, and we just sat stood still. And the realtor said it out loud. She said. You can just sit, stand in this house, and it just feels tighter. And it, it, it did. I mean, the floors didn't shake, and I mean, you know, the, all the joints and the moldings look perfect, and you, you can tell. No, you just have to walk on the floor in my house to hear it squeak. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, when they were nailing the floors down, they, they missed the studs. Yeah, and they got it with glue. <laughs> that wasn't the right way to do it. Again, we're going to take a short uh, commercial break here. Um, we'll listen to a conversation I had with uh, a fellow named Tom Manning, who's going to be putting on a series of marketing and sales seminars with me called Envision 2013, how to make your sales and marketing work together. Uh, if you have a question for John, the number is 646 Five nine five four nine one six. Let's listen to what Tom had to say. This is Mike Roth with Tom Manning. We're talking about your marketing and sales boot camp that you're going to be running in April and May. And the name of the program is? It's called Engage 2013. Engage 2013. And you're going to be running it in Columbus and in Cincinnati. Correct. It's going to be Tuesday mornings for six weeks in Columbus and Wednesday mornings for six weeks in Cincinnati. Okay. And if a company sends their CEO, the CEO comes and he's bringing a chief marketing officer, what would they be getting by attending your program? Well, the first thing we try to do is we try to get the company to develop a story, figure out what their key messages are, what the value proposition is, and come up with their company's story. From that, we can actually look at all your marketing materials to be sure they're telling the same story. All your marketing and sales materials. So does your website match your brochures, match your email campaign, and all of your branding? Does it tell the same message? Okay. Does it really have to match? 
It really does, because what it does is it creates a consistency in the eyes of the end customer or the end user of your products and services. If you're well, talking about user or prospect here. Well, it depends what your industry is. If you're B2C, it's going to be your customers, mm -hmm. and it's going to be what your customer sees with your company. Right. If you have different messages, you're actually causing customer confusion. If you're B2B, it's going to be you and the other businesses, and you're going to be trying to capture market share. And so are you consistent as to what your message is and how you define yourself in the marketplace? Mm -hmm. And why should someone attend? So what we'll do is we're going to, over the course of six weeks, we're going to help you um, define your, your key messages and your company's story. And then from that, we're going to help you develop a marketing strategy and a sales strategy and perhaps a social media strategy that helps coordinate all of that. So people will be consistent at the end. Correct. We're going to actually look at everything from your logo and your corporate identity. Does it match that key messages? Your website, are the messages on your website consistent? Your brochure, your sales presentations, your PowerPoint presentations, your proposal system, your email campaign, your trade show. And naturally, your selling system. And, of course, your selling system as well. Tom, if someone is interested in finding out more, either speaking to you or speaking to you personally, how should they do that? There's two ways. One, you could go to marketleaders.us. Um, that's the website for Engage 2013. You can learn all about the sessions there and the speakers and the time frame and, and uh, registration. Or you can call me directly if you have any questions that aren't answered there, and you can reach me at 614-622-1047. Thanks, Tom. In future weeks, we'll be hearing more from Tom about the Engage Marketing and Sales 2013. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with John Huber, Jr. John, uh, since we don't have any callers, let me ask you this question. We have a theory of operation here that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if we're going to solve a complex problem, we have to have an equally complex solution. So maybe you could share with our listeners a complex problem that you had and the complex solution that you developed to solve the problem? Well, the probably the most complex problem I've ever had is what we've just been through. Um, if, if you know what happened to the housing market, and I mean, it went dead flat, and builders are, you know, we rely on cash flow and have one job after the other, and in my business where we try to hire what I call A players, you know, I, I had a team of really top people and uh so we saw this bubble sort of happening for a lot of years I, I kept saying to my staff you know something doesn't feel right this market shouldn't be this strong at one point i i got rid of all my lot positions and i am standing there with no lots and I had my money in my pocket and the market didn't crash so i thought i was wrong and Went head back out and bought lot positions and was doing market houses and and then uh, then that crash kind of came along and fortunately I wasn't holding too much um, but you know I had to I had to really think on my feet um, it was a hard time for me I had gone through a divorce a year or so before that so I'd already given up half of my pie so to speak right and so I was operating and then I had my two sons you know joining the business and I. I took it 
you know, I believe all struggling is an opportunity to learn. It's always been a core belief of mine, and I took it that way. I, I said, I'm going to, you know, I, 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 this is an important time for me as a father to show my sons, you know, how, how do you survive this stuff? It's not always gravy, and it's not always fun. So, you know, was, I was really called to be a leader uh, for my employees, my customers. You know, builders are going out bankrupt, uh, you know, not paying the contractors, uh it was just a terrible time in the industry, and I didn't want to be one of those statistics. So, you know, I, I told everybody, here's how it's going to be. We're going to have to lay some people off, and then after we do, we're going to have to work twice as hard for half as much, and everybody's got to cut their salary, including me. And, I, in fact, one, one year, no salary. But everybody agreed to it, and we did the hardest thing that any small guy like me does, and that's did you know did the layoffs and got it down to like I said five people, but even then there was no real business. So fortunately for us, again, just based on our reputation, there were there were some people with money, the wherewithal, who recognized it's a great time to build. You had all the best contractors sitting at home, so if you're going to build a house, you're gonna, you know the the lesser carpenter he's laid off. The only guy that kept is the good guy, and so, you know I did the same thing. So we got one or two big houses. Each of those tough years, you know, three million dollar type house. We did remodeling. We, you know, we, we became flexible. We did anything that we we could do. We also used it as a time to examine how our company works and is there is, can we do some things better. Um, so What's one thing you decided to do better. Well, just just one of the things is just again we I always like to get to work on that process I talked about earlier when canceling a house they are overwhelmed with decisions and so. You know, we built some books that when someone buys a house from me, we, we, we get a manual for you on how to how to build a house with us and everything, what you got to worry about, when you got to worry about it, and who's going to help you worry about it. And and we basically hold your hand through that entire process. You're never alone. We're never trying to make the decision. You know, like a production builder wants to sell you extras. I'm not trying to sell you extras. I make the same on an extra as I do on the regular house. I mean, one of my philosophies we changed how we did business with the banks and how we before everything was closed book we never should you know we tell you about say out for 500 and that was it plus your extras now i went to completely open book which i love i can i get means i show them every number here's what this house really costs i've got three bids on the lumber and i got a competitively bid and you know we, we just sort of went to this thing where we just believe in absolutely speaking truthfully with the client and it's it's a great, you're, you know, you can talk about what things really cost and, and you know, you're, you're managing their expectations in a different way. But uh, it, it was it was a good, a big transition for us. But, you know, once we got through it, and that's how we're doing everything now. And the clients love it. I get a lot of business. They walk in and say, you mean you're going to show me the numbers? And yeah, here they are. Here's, here's the numbers and here's my feet. And I'm not going to work for more. I won't work for less. But I'll work and... I'll help you get this where you need it to be because the difference that goes in my pocket doesn't matter. It's more, you know. It's your work. Are, yeah, are you course, satisfied? Course. Yeah, well, you know, it comes back to, you know, the, the, the why, why you're building houses. I, I saw a little TED talk the other day on, on you know, the guy drew three circles like a target in the center. One was why, the next one out was, was how, and the last one was what, you know. And, and I think... The reason I've been a successful builder and, and you know, relatively successful businessman, not as much as I could have and should have been, not as much as some of my contemporaries, but 
you know, I've, I've had a lot of fun and a lot of satisfaction, and, and I love building the houses. I, I recommend that particular TED.com talk. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yes, yes. yes we, uh, we, we showed it in one of our Sandler sales classes a yeah. couple of weeks ago. Well, I, I just saw it for the first time this week, actually, and it just it, it, it really hit me that, you know, well, that, that, that's, I think that's why we are here. And, and, you know, we've never put the money first. I, I think the money is, comes if you do the right job. And, you know, sometimes I build houses that I didn't make any money on. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't like doing that, but I've done it. You know, more to be like, hey, I gave my word and I'm going to do it. So, yeah. Uh, uh, I worked for uh, Hughes Communications out, Howard Hughes Company mm-hmm. in California. And he built his entire business with the government on cost plus contracts mm-hmm. and built a tremendous business as everyone knows. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Of course he became a little bit more insane as time went on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I read his, his uh, biography. But I, I worked for people who worked with Howard. Oh yeah. Um, this is a true story. One of the first, when I, get, when I came out to California, one of my first projects to sell was a communication system to the plant that built the Spruce Goose. Mm-hmm. In the first meeting, we go in and meet, meet the plant manager or the director. He's got a gorgeous office, probably as big as one of your homes. And after we did the proposal and the uh, the design, he calls us one day and says, I'm ready to sign up. Meet me at gate five. Five o'clock. So me, my sales manager, I was the, the VP of sales. We uh, we drive around the plant. We can't find Gate Five, <laughs> and we finally found it. It was the uh, place where they had the dumpsters, the trash dumpsters. <laughs> <laughs> Sending you a message, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, he comes out of the plant just about five o'clock. We get out of the car. And he says, boy, he's got a folder in his hand with my contract in it. He says, boys, I guess you'd like the contract. And we said, yep, that's why we're here. And so he opens the folder, puts it on top of a used 55-gallon oil drum, signs the contract, and then hands it to me. And I said to the man, you got a gorgeous office in the plant. Why did we meet out here next to the trash dumpsters signing the contract on an oil drum? That says to me, Mike, that's the way Howard would have wanted it. <laughs> it was the start of a great relationship. Yeah. We, we closed every every <laughs> used site. And then he showed you both sides. And, <laughs> and then I went to work on the inside. I don't know why I did that. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's get one. Our callers, one more chance to call in, and we'll take a uh, short commercial break here. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are we hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. 
There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. On the web at rothconsulting.net. Finding power in reinforcement. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with John Huber. John, since we don't have any callers, perhaps you can give our listeners a leadership tip. Well, the one I just talked about is my new favorite, you know, understanding the why of why you do things. Um, but I think, um, you, know, you know, let me let me link that to another question you got here, which is, uh, you know, you've asked me is, you know, do I have any salespeople? I mean, my leadership tip would be that I, I want everybody in my company, and we do this regularly. We have a weekly meeting. Everybody, everybody has to come. I usually buy everybody lunch. But you know, you make it clear that everybody in my company—I don't care if you're the laborer sweeping the house—is a salesperson. And you know, you have to—you you have to recognize the client when they come on the job. In our case, um, we go further than that. We go out to our subcontractors and suppliers. I got you know some of these subcontractors a little rough, got no teeth, look like they just killed their mother, but. I'll go up to that guy and say, look, we're building a $2 million house here for this guy. I want you to speak to him. Yes, sir. No, sir. Answer his questions. Uh, you're selling for me when you're here. And he might bring his friend. And so we go to our suppliers. If I'm buying brick from you, I, I carefully choose the sales associate I work with over there. And I make him understand. I want my client taken care of when they come in here. In addition, I want you, you know every builder in town. I want you to tell them that we're a good builder because, you know, the entire process of building a house, the client's always wondering and hoping they made the right decision. They don't. They know it when they when it's done and they love it and that they're in. But they need comforting all along the way. So that's my my biggest tip. Everybody in the, whatever the chain to the lowest guy mm-hmm. is part of the sales team. That's interesting. We uh, we have our sales training program with companies. Uh, we call it a semi-private program, but we allow uh, clients to put everyone through the program. From the receptionist, uh, we have one company that uh, does uh, sand and gravel, mm-hmm. and 
they put the lady through who runs the way house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great, great idea. I mean, why not? Hey, and, and the other side of it is uh, we were called in for a, uh, a large uh, international company to do customer service training for their people. Okay, who are front line with sales prospects, and that's a critical, critical piece mm-hmm. of what happens. Yeah. The, the other thing I, you know, I just had a, a, a Goring family business talk with uh, Tom Williams, and uh, gave a great talk. And what an impressive businessman he is. But he made a point of saying that you know. In companies, only 37, about 37 percent of the people understand the vision and, and the goal of, of the company, and I think that's that's you know that's just another. When I say make everybody sales team, part of that effort is to get everybody on board with the why. You know, we've got we, we want a great outcome of a, a perfect house, as near perfect as you can make it. There's no such thing as a perfect house. I had a lady ask me one time, "Would you build me a perfect house?" I said, yeah, it'll be a thousand square feet and cost you five million dollars. But, <laughs> but, but you know, we want to build. <laughs> we want to build the highest standard house that we can as as a team, and um, but we want the, the customer to have a good experience doing it. And so, get back to that whole process of building and you know, getting everybody to understand what what that, we want. That might be your unique marketing advantage. I think it is. I mean, I've had, you know, recently won a, a job in Indian Hill where the client interviewed six builders and, and they built, they asked each builder to assemble a team, which was an architect, the interior designer, the builder, and the supervisor, and they went to meet them all. And they met them all three times. It's a lot of meetings. And we won that project. And I think... How how expensive was that home? It's about a million eight. Mm-hmm. For uh, a million eight, I'd be really careful, too. Yeah, yeah, I would, too. And... uh so there's, you know, Cincinnati's blessed with some good builders. I mean, it's been pared down to not not so many anymore. Thank God for me. But you know, uh, well, it's hard to tell who a good builder is. That's good. That's good. That's it is. And, and you can't just go look at a house because most people don't know what they're looking at. You know, mm-hmm. it amazes me what people accept actually when I see some of the houses and some of the work that goes on. Uh, I went into one of the production builders. Yeah. Uh, maybe 10 years ago I was looking for a new house and I saw enough what I call bad stuff Yeah. that I walked away and said my wife, told my wife we'll just uh, do a little fix up in the house we have now yeah. <laughs> well you know the big difference in a production builder they're, they're every contractor's you know he's not he's getting paid to put his drywall up as fast as he can you know and Faster he gets it up and out of there, it's the only way he makes money. Actually, he's got to be streamlined and fast, and we don't we don't work that way at all. I actually want every man that works on my job. I want him to make money. I want him to feel good about being there. I want it to be fair. I keep him honest through competitive bidding, mm-hmm. but I'm also I want everybody to make money, not just me. And that's just another good attitude. I mean, you know, share share the wealth. You know, pay your I pay my employees well. And I, I think I do, and you know, we've always paid at the highest stake levels for for our business, for for construction business, and give them health care and dental and you know pension funds and things that don't exist in most small building companies. You're not a union company, are you? No, 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 no. You couldn't build a house with a union, in my opinion. 
I didn't say that. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you, you could. You, there's no unions in, in residential construction. And you know, the stuff we're doing downtown, we have to do a prevailing rate, which is set by the unions. So the cost of those units down there are more than a third again higher to cost to do them than if I went across the street and did my own project. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. You're gonna if you're gonna pay prevailing wage, which is city requirement. Some of those projects have some money from the city in it, taxpayer mm-hmm. money when they do require to pay prevailing wage. Mm. So whatever that means. Well <laughs> it means that my car my laborer that works for me when he works downtown, he's making twenty six dollars an hour and when he's out working on one of my other houses out there he makes fifteen. Wow. So he's, he loves it. I mean, he wants to be downtown. Of course, he has to pay taxes into the city from it. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's a big deal. Does the city specify who you can hire to do the work? They don't specify who, but they, you know, you have to have a certain level of uh, minority-owned and women-owned businesses. And, you know, to me, it's a little bit of a racket. I mean, we, we're re- required to have these people, and they're not necessarily at the skill level we want. Um they know that we have to hire them, so they literally give you high numbers, and you got to take them because you have to have a certain percentage of them. Um, some of them are excellent, some are wonderful. I mean, we we try to get in and and get some of them in and train them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, offer to do uh, some of the some of the paperwork that seems overwhelming. There's a ton of paperwork when you're working down on, on city projects and prevailing wage projects. Um, I mean, my own staff is. We do on that one project as much paperwork as we do on another fifteen houses, custom houses. So it's it's a little nutty in my opinion. But Sounds like it's a more expensive way to do business. Yeah, you know they they don't sell this. You know we're paid a fixed fee down there or a percentage fee on everything that happens. So it's it's a, for us it's a place we're not going to go lose money. Um, we're being hired as a contractor just to build it, and then I'm a developer. And in my in my development role, I may or may not make as much money, but as a builder, I'm going to get my money regardless. Um, so, in, in a certain way, my fees higher too. But I still, I'd rather my mindset more wants to let me hire the best contractor at the best price to do the best job. How, how close is uh, the over the ride district to? Uh, being able to uh, have independent builders go in there. I think we're right there. I mean, I, I asked that question actually of, of uh, Tom Williams at the seminar this week because he's he's on the board of directors for Cincinnati Center City Development. Tom thinks we're there, and I think we're there too. When Washington Park got done, uh, when the choir games came last year, when we sold out every condo that we had down there, the six developers, there's an apartment project that people you know, standing in line to get in it. Uh, they've opened, I don't know, the restaurant count. It's probably eight or so, and we've got another four or five that are talking to. We've got one one person that does the commercial spaces. It's all kinds of businesses, office spaces. Every office space that's been brought online has been filled up. Some some major Cincinnati companies, uh, Bear Becker uh, Engineering, just moved their firm down there. Um, oh, a few other uh you know, bigger companies have moved into the office space. So 
you know, if you get re- the residents up, you get the commercial restaurants and shops and things like that, bicycle shops, dress shops, get gift shops and things like that. Um, you know, it's it's at the tipping point, and now we see some private investors are coming in and, and buying up some of the, the existing stock. Do you have any kind of a handle on the number of uh, new residents that the city of Cincinnati has added in the last couple of years? No, I don't. It's a good question. Somebody's asking me, saying to me that you know Hamilton County and Cincinnati is losing, and they have been on a trend of losing population. But I, I think reversing. You know, you know, I don't know the numbers of the counts, but you know, anybody can just go down there and see that it's you know yeah, the people move in. Yeah, they're moving back. Yeah, uh, probably. I don't know if it was ten years ago when Charlie Lucan was mayor. He came down to the Rotary Club and told us that. The trick to fixing Cincinnati was adding more residents, mm-hmm. and it sounds like uh, what's happened. It's exactly how it's happened. I don't know what the number. One time I heard it was if we got ten thousand new people down there, it would it would tip it, and it's probably getting close to that. Of course, the casino too is helping. Yeah, so that was some opening last night. Huh? <laughs> I didn't see opening. Was it? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we went down there, stood in line for an hour to get in. Oh, did you? It's a great place. It's great yeah, place. Yeah, it's good for the city. I love it. Yeah. I think it'll be be uh, a wonderful addition. John, let me uh, thank you again for, for coming in to be interviewed on the show. And I'm going to give you a copy of uh, one of our, our Sandler books, the uh, Sandler 49 Rules book. And inside the front cover, cover you've get, you got a free training pass oh, good. Uh, to any one of our classes on the calendar. In there, this book came out a couple of years ago. Went to uh, number one on the Amazon bestseller list and the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Great, uh, I love, love learning something new. Learn something new. Be my guest. Come to uh, one of our seminars. Uh, and thanks for uh, for being a guest. Well, thanks for having me, Scott. Why don't you take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.